are listening to the one of us.net podcast network and we're rolling hey gentlemen we're back uh we're back and we're a man down yeah we are but in, pr- in place of him tonight um will be the hologram of Roy Orbison, so that's really exciting. That is exciting. I am excited about that. Uh, oddly enough, I have uh, the Rolling Stone article about that, and I'll just quote this. In recent years, multiple companies have attempted to bring musician-based holograms to life for world tours, from Frank Zappa to Selena to Liberace and Chief Keef. Which is, is it weird that there's a hologram of an artist I've never heard of? Chief Keef, yeah. Well, maybe they're just making him up. So far, only a production revolving around Ronnie James Dio's hologram has hit the road. <laughs> well, and I would also I would also offer this, you know, for whatever it's worth. And we won't go through the whole story about how I once hit Roy Orbison in the back of the head with a plastic football on Bourbon Street, but that happened. Yeah, let's not go through that again. We don't need to go through. None of us do. But <laughs> he might be the only artist that they could do one of these revival holograms with who actually looked dead when he was alive. So well, I just wonder why they would pick him because like he didn't move around a whole lot. He was no, known that's for being exactly animated. why. Like I understand if you want to yeah. do Chuck Berry circa 1956. No, but less movement is good. That way the audience they still get the show. Like they don't know it's any different. I mean they probably know it's different. The, the other thing that I <laughs> there will may say, be some people that don't. We won't go way into science like we usually do in the show, but um, but the way that that gag actually works is a series of mirrors. Like the trick. That they use to create that on the, stage. The 3D effect. Yeah, is like there is a, if you imagine like a, a mirror that's projecting uh, like almost in an orchestra pit type setup and it shoots onto an angled mirror that's on stage, then the rest of the stage is black. So it's like the audience can't see part of the way that that works, but it's it is a it's a trick that's the visual trick is like actually over a hundred years old. Well this thing is coupled is, with is, new technology. This thing is going on tour with a full orchestra and like And Dead Roy Orbison. And yeah. Like Oh I thought he was I thought you were referring to Dead Roy Orbison as this thing. Well I am. <laughs> I mean that's what it is. I mean reanimated I mean it's not the corpse of Roy Orbison, thank God, but yeah. yeah. Uh, Anyway, well, we are man down. Yeah, uh, let's reanimate this podcast. Uh, yeah, so for now, I'm Ryan. I'm Kevin. I'm Mark. This is Somebody Likes It. So the Grammys happened. Yeah. Heard about that. Pause for effect. I watched about a minute and a half. Did you? That's more than I saw. Yeah, like, I didn't see any of it. I'm fascinated. I will always probably be fascinated by the fact that the Grammys gets slagged by, and this is certainly not statistically relevant, but everybody I know. And, uh, and yet, there are people still go to it, and it's still, like, a massive news story, like yeah. on all the late night talk and shows the next day, and, and yeah. right, treats it as if it's like you know this very big thing, and really it's just a popularity contest among the people who sold the most records the previous year, previous yeah. pre- uh, previous year. Yes, yes. yes. yeah, I hear you. Um, Newsweek put out a, a blurb on. I guess maybe the, who knows? Maybe they're doing clickbait now, but they put out a blurb of. 
like the worst things to happen during the 2018 Grammys. Here's my quick scan. Um, 90s artists that really probably should just go ahead and step aside already. <laughs> Apparently, U2 performed twice. Uh, and they made, Well, they made an appearance like three times. Uh, oh, apparently, okay. yeah. and we're nominated for nothing. Yeah, the the blurb here goes again. The year is 2018. Yet for some reason, you two performed not once but twice at the 60th annual Grammy Awards. Um, yeah, and then uh, and then Sting did a duet with Shaggy, which if it was Shaggy from um, Scooby Doo, Scooby Doo, I'm in. I'm all into that. <laughs> Sting. But, <laughs> yeah, it's a, some song built around the word zoinks. Um, but yeah, other than that, it sort of just looks like uh, we're gonna solve some mysteries. I, I don't know exactly if I'm doing that right, I but ho- I hope I hope I, you are. Actually, I think I set that to wham. Actually, uh, but anyhow, yeah. Uh, Chris Stapleton won three awards, and he's. Uh, a no, newer he, artist that I've recently discovered that I like. Yeah, he's great, and of course, you know, he comes from his his uh, like nuclear family that he came out of are all essentially like learned folks of advanced careers. Like, well, I saw him on uh, some late night talk that's show. That's the official designation. Learned yes. folks of advanced careers. Yeah. <laughs> that's, the, yeah. that's the college they went to. <laughs> dot edu yes. um <laughs> i know i saw him on some late night talk show with sturgill simpson like and sturgill simpson was like uh, in a support role and i was like that's a pretty good song yeah uh, and turns out dude won like country album of the year and like country song of the year and some other thing of the year but like three different things whereas who was it was it drake that won that cleaned up this year's grammys and, like and three of them were like basically for the same thing like anyway we've been down this road before and yeah, I, I don't i just arbitrary. mostly don't get what that show's all about but uh every now and then i learn something new and chris stapleton this year is it so well, it's funny every year go ahead, sorry. i was just gonna say every year we we uh we come on this show the the, the day after the grammys and we talk about how Insignificant of a of a and of yet, an award we end show up talking is, about them. and we end up talking about it for like ten fifteen well, minutes. And you, one of the reasons I think is that, that happens is that there just aren't other news cycle events, so it's like you get it gets a ton of press. Yeah, it does, and, it, and certainly like uh, I would imagine at least a semi significant national audience, but it also seems it also seems like it might as well be the fucking VMAs, like. You know. do, those, do they still do those? The I think VMAs? They, they do. They do. Yeah. They do. Uh, I just say, I, like, I treat the Grammys like I do the State of the Union address. Yeah. Like, regardless of who's the president. Yeah. Like, I don't need to watch the whole thing. I'm going to hear about it for the next two days from it'll be everybody who did watch it. And yeah, yeah, and then we're going to be moving on to something else. All right. Well, let's speaking of which, let's move on to something else. Let's talk about why we're here tonight. Yeah. What you got for us? One of the things that has kind of been a constant as we have done the show is that we all, at one point or another, have professed our love and soft spot for uh, a certain, like, 70s-era mellow gold. 70s AM gold. Yeah, yeah. And so, and it's like, and I certainly fall in that camp, and I know Ryan has, and um, and so I just have kind of, in my hip pocket over the years, like, I since, you know, the few years we've been doing the show, I thought, wouldn't it be fun, at some point, 
I think you can make the you can make the argument that uh, an artist is revealed a little bit by whatever like concept record they put together. And some artists do more than one. And certainly, I think this artist you could make the argument this artist has done more than one concept record. But um, one that has been that was seemed to be particularly well received, and I think was kind of an interesting um, choice for. For him, given his repertoire, is the Josh Rouse record, 1972. Which turns out that's the year he was born. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and me too. Yep. Uh, yeah. So, so I, I wouldn't say all these songs sound like they're from 1972, but not they do sound like they're from the 70s. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and he said, he's been interviewed plenty about this record and in subsequent ones, but he said, um, well... He said, you know, the, the idea was not to sound like, you know, whatever. Um, one one disparate artist, like essentially. DJ the, Thomas. Or, uh, well, the, not to sound like one one specific artist on one track and another specific artist on another track, but to like, kind of through the through the lens of of the type of stuff that he likes to play and write, um, uh, essentially like. Maybe put together a record that sounded like it could have come out around that time. I think he has successfully done that. Yeah, and I think you know, I think it's fair to say that some of these songs land more than others. But I think as an experiment, it's a pretty interesting experiment. Now, he's not here tonight. Well, Josh Rouse isn't either, but um, Shane's not here tonight. And I and I will say that, like, my opinion is that he probably. Uh, were he here to to give his two cents about this record, uh, Shane's made it. I, I, it seems fairly clear that he opted out of Josh Rouse after the uh, dressed up like Nebraska record, and some people did. He's certainly like uh, Josh Rouse has had. Uh, Didn't you and I see him on that tour? We did or, see him on that tour. Yeah. yeah, I've seen him a couple of times, and um, I think maybe we met him too. Uh, maybe uh, it's possible, but. But anyway, I mean, he's played Austin quite a bit, and and sometimes, certainly in the early going, was playing pretty small rooms. Now his, you know, the some of the work that he's put out has has soundtracked some things that got some national exposure. But generally speaking, he's he has seemed to remain a little bit of a, um, I wouldn't say an underground, but not necessarily a mainstream well, artist. Here's what I think, um, as far as like I have a, this weird kind of push pull like fear of fame and by the way tell all your friends to listen to this podcast so we can make <laughs> some money off it but just not but just don't that bother level. me at dinner yeah, sure. um but he seemed like that perfect level of fame where like he doesn't have to work a day job like mortgage sure. is paid for yeah like you know he's gonna put his kids through college yeah uh he's able to tour people are gonna show up um enough people are gonna buy his record that you know, he's going to get some airplay. Well, and, and he, he's but a, like not everybody you bring up Josh Rouse to is going to know who the hell that is. Sure. No, he can still walk down the street, generally speaking. And um, and he's a little bit of like his like his wheelhouse, his repertoire is such that he has been able to kind of reinvent himself a little bit from record to record and experiment. Now, again, those experiments don't always land like exact like he uh Somewhere after this record, we could have been in the, with the next subsequent release. He met uh, met uh, a, a Spanish artist, married her, moved to Spain, 
put out two records that included several songs in Spanish that didn't land, like, that the Spanish didn't particularly care for. The Spaniards? Uh, the Spaniards, yes. Yeah. Didn't, didn't particularly care for. And so, um, but he said that he, and they were a little hey, bit more major. jazz and inflect- Yeah, jazz inflected. But I think, like, like my, t- like, that was kind of where he lost me. I was like, this record probably isn't necessarily aimed at. See, I think of him as like just like around the same tier, maybe a little bit lower uh, than like Rufus Wainwright. Like yeah, that's interesting. You know, like uh, people that are into him, like he's going to have like a good following, but it's it's not you know it's not uh, you know Josh Rouse mania. Well, the comparison that I heard that I thought was was one that took me a little bit by surprise was like essentially like with regard to this type of concept album coming from Josh Rouse was like a was like. Beck without caring about whether homage sounds like irony, like essentially. Well, Beck, yeah, Beck's always sounded a little dry to me, like where it's it, well, he's, he's like so, trying he so hard to self-conscious to right, be exactly. like uh, detached. Uh, anyway, uh, you want to get into a track, Kev? Yeah, sure. And there are a few of these that I think are sort of worth covering, but. Um, well, the the single was was it uh, comeback? Yeah, that was the one I was going to suggest. Why don't we start with comeback? And that's that's got some of those '70s touches that we were just talking about. Faux show. Sure. So much, yeah, isn't it great? Man, that is the <laughs> best disco baseline I've oh. ever heard. Well, like, and the funny thing is, is when they play it live, like so. One of the things that happened, I think, as a byproduct of him going overseas for a little while, is like there had to be a reasonably sheep, steep decline in record sales because he's he's literally moved back to Nashville as of like last year. Well, he's from uh, Nebraska, I guess, originally. Yeah, but he spent a lot of time living But mostly in, came up musically in Nashville. That's really sort of where he made his bones. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, he's moved back to Nashville. And, uh, and so I think that he's trying to reconnect with American audiences who like hear songs like that and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm totally on board. But... It's just, yeah. I mean, it's it's disco as hell. It is. Um, so it wouldn't have co- that song would not have come out in 1972. But give it like three years and that would have. Well, yeah, it, I guess kind of where I was going is like that when you see them play it live. His if he has the same bass player that he did the last time that they came through Austin, I saw them play that that track. Uh, you know, it's like it's like kind of a you know just a like a bigger dude. And uh, and it's like the this is tacky, 
but it's like the the it's like the the way that the guy plucks the strings is like I don't think it's intended. Like it's hard to play unless you're whatever. You're talking Flea. about like a, like a finger. It's hard to he's play like finger picker and not a doesn't play with a pick. Um, I, I yeah, I couldn't say one way or the other. Has to be, but but I would say that like his the guys the way that the guy played the bass was this sort of this big kind of bouncy. Uh, is he was under, his, his his body dynamics were understated, but the but the way that he played that instrument, like in I saw the I'll tell you where I it's saw like him a play. Bootsy Collins Jacko Pastorius kind of technique, uh, and it's a and weird mashup, but yeah, like um, I saw them play, I saw them play on a, that teeny tiny little stage out back at um, uh, what's the beer joint um, that used to be in the Ghost Room. Oh, uh, uh, Gingerman. Yeah, the, at the Gingerman, and so it's they literally played this tiny beer patio, and uh, and played a bunch of tracks off this off this album. This is probably a couple of years ago, but you could see like you could just kind of tell by some of the in between chatter that they were trying to sort of figure out like, okay, can we reclaim this audience who was pretty loyal to us a while back? And anyway, songs like that feel like they could have come out of the early seventies. For sure, uh, and it's got those little uh, like seventies flourishes of you know, like the flute and like those, uh, and, those flute, yeah. and those like horn flourishes. Yeah. Um, like it just put me in like Chuck Mangione played trumpet, but you know, but like that even the flute parts and stuff like just kind of put me in that vibe, you know, like top forty seventies stuff, but like good top forties. Yeah, and, and like I'd say like the first three four songs or so on this record I thought were like, you know, kind of album tracks sure. uh, of the 70s, but this this record got a lot better as it went on. Yeah. I, I, it He definitely doesn't um, kind of stay in, in one particular lane except to say that the influences as an overarching set feel like they're, they're coming from a specific place. Well, I just wonder if they, you know, researched like you know what equipment were people using and what instruments were people using during this era and let's confine ourselves to just those things well i've seen in these recording techniques because sure. I mean, this sounds like two inch tape you know like uh yeah i know specifically like he he i've seen him interviewed and, and i watched a couple of more recent interviews where he was talking about kind of just the way that he works a little bit and it does sound like you know, when you're trying to achieve that sort of specific sound and you have the means to kind of go get the instrument that or a set of instruments that you think will produce that sound from a given era or of a given style or whatnot, he absolutely has has done some of that. And you can hear it. Like, of course, you know, the most obvious thing on that track, and you mentioned it earlier, were those flute flourishes. Like, Well, they're kind of all like, over the record, too. All, they but are all over the record. At one of these days, I'm going to pick a... Uh, uh, Jethro Tull record because I went through a brief uh, Jethro Tull dalliance uh, when I was in high school. Yeah, and it was weird. It was it was like fifteen, sixteen, and it was right when I was just getting into like REM and like the Cure and uh, Depeche Mode and stuff. But I also liked Jethro Tull. I love. Yeah, I went through. A, I went through a similar period with, yeah. with Jethro Tull. I sat on a park bench once. <laughs> like, I don't uh, want to know if you were you watching <laughs> Little I, I Girls I with bad intent. Yes. <laughs> no, I did not. Let's that, hope there that was no other that. similarities. Sorry. Anyway, 
don't know what yeah. that was. That uh, was Bob and Doug, maybe. But minstrel. <laughs> I guess. There. Um, yeah, actually, so it says, um, and we that was, um, there is a, a Wurlitzer and a vibraphone that make an appearance on this record. Those are vintage. They, those are vintage. And... Um, and the uh, the no depression no depression recovered this record, and they said that uh, the guy that wrote it said that uh, referred to that that last track uh, comeback as being full of sax enhanced funk. Uh, but here's here's really the point that I wanted to make. So circling back to to people who may or may not have opted out of this guy's arc after that first record because he really hasn't put out anything else that's talking like, about the empty chair next to us I'm talking about the empty chair um i think i think it's fair to acknowledge that there are like this is a triple a sounding record like it's a it's an adult alternative record so no, that, that's, it is not, that song in particular was uh played a bunch on kgsr which is like the flagship triple a format sure or at least it used to be not yeah it, less yeah not as much now but can you explain the term AAA. Yeah, so, the, so for the for the layperson who doesn't uh, get bogged down in in uh, radio station formatting, basically what AAA means is like kind of like adult alternative, and not not in a sketchy way, uh, in a in a sort well, yeah, of so, yeah, safer alternative format. Adult like, album alternative, but yeah. it's not soft rock. You it's know, not in like it's not mom rock. It's not what gets referred to as AOR, which is album-oriented rock, which is all the classic, More like classic rock, classic yeah. rock stuff, and it's not a full-blown what used to be, you know, fifteen twenty years ago, um, especially uh, what they used to, you know, kind of alternative-specific format. But this is a more, um, it's a safer. They play a lot of like ex- like, like kind of poppy, more accessible folk. Uh, and like some kind of like you probably know, some singer songwriter singer songwritery yeah. stuff. Yeah, our mom so, likes it. So is there like is there a, a little bit of a crossover here for him then on this? I mean, sure. Well, and he's a stew of influence. So it's like you know he he and he name checks Carol King on this record, but like really, you know there is there is a lot of like he doesn't he maybe doesn't wear one particular influence on his sleeve throughout. The record, but it's like there are little touches here and there of, of different um, artists. So anyway, um, maybe we should do a, a different one of these. What do you guys think? Uh, or we could play the same one again. I mean, <laughs> just, <laughs> just keep it going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, I'm just a sucker for uh, Sparrows over Birmingham. Uh, okay. I don't know if you want to do that or you want something of... Your own. Well, why don't we do? Um, sure, we can do Sparrows over Birmingham, and then uh, we'll come out and we'll talk about that. We'll talk about another track. I um, also like this. Sh- later sla- this show that we I like Slave Ship to. a whole lot, which ironically is really poppy. Um, yeah. Given its name, uh, but like whatever, it's your it's your. Well, let's this give week. let's let's give a spin to Sparrows over Birmingham, and then uh, and then we'll talk about that track, and, and I guess another one uh, before we. Uh, Keep it moving. Fell down on both knees. You were young. Bones still soft. Legs fell numb. Oh, how those sparrows sang for you. So you grew up. 
Probably the one that least sounds like it's from the seventies, but it doesn't sound like it's from necessarily any era. It's well, like it, timeless, as far as I'm concerned. Sure. Well, and it doesn't sound like a single. Like it sounds like a no. It's a, it's like a brilliant album track that. Yeah. Well, and uh, using Mark's parlance, do you want to explain to people what you mean by an album track? Yeah, I mean you know well the length of the song sort of uh, typically like singles you know not filler. But no, it's not, not filler, but it's an album a... track that con- is connective tissue from one song to the next. Sure. But, like, the album wouldn't sound right without it. Um, you know, and they, for whatever reason, like, you know, it's, you know, not the right format for the time or the, the right song style or the uh, song Sequencing. length or song length or whatever. Like, right. it's, it's never going to be a single. But if you, like, dig into this record, this is going to be one that you're always going to be really happy when it comes on. Yeah, it's a glue song, something like that. Glue. I yeah. yeah, I like it better than glue. <laughs> well, <laughs> those are Glue's not there when you need it. Those are not but, our only choices. But uh, there, I, mean, I, I would I, actually seek this out. But I know what you're. I know kind of what you're saying. Like there's there's a lot of albums that I can think of where there are songs on there that you don't immediately go to. You don't immediately think of them as like, oh yeah, this was one of the great cuts but, off this album. Yeah, but if but when you hear the thing it, as a whole. Yeah. Work, yeah. Like and when, and would, when you hear you, that cut, it'd it, be wrong without it. Yeah. Well, and it's kind of like where you can tell, you know, people who have really connected with with an album as a work as a whole from the people who have just essentially kind of just skimmed the singles and moved on. Well, it's funny. Like I am even guilty of that a little bit. I think um, we all are. Sure. Um, I was like, so this year's the 25th anniversary of Automatic for the People, Mariam, which I bought back in the day. Like, and it's. Apparently, it's their biggest selling album ever, which I wouldn't think that. Like, I kind of felt they were on the downslope at that point. But it's only because, you know, you think of the singles, and the singles are kind of the shittiest songs on them. And so, uh, I can't remember the website, but they were interviewing one of these, like, early 20-something kids who's on, like, Matador. And this girl had only heard, like, one or two songs, and they had her listen to the whole record and like give her impressions of the songs and i was like oh shit yeah i really fucking love that song and i just haven't listened to that record in a while because i really don't like everybody hurts yeah um but so many of those songs are good and a lot of them are just good album tracks anyway uh but yeah it's a long (laughs) long and winding road to explain what an album track is yeah well all right so we are we're kind of coming up against the break who's got middle tonight uh i do Right. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna go smoke half a cigarette, and I'll, we'll come back and talk about it. the song. Not my half cigarette. <laughs> yeah, right. We well, can talk about that too. I do know I mean, the song about that, but that's not what I'm picking this week. We've got a little bit of extra time. Yeah, we'll be back. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, intermission time, and I've got it this week. Uh, my day has been consumed a little bit with a little bit of melancholy, uh, as uh, our the Newsom family had to uh, depart with our dear friend uh, Indy the dog, uh, who for 16 years has been a constant companion and good goofy buddy. She was goofy. She definitely was a goofy puppy. She has been. Uh, she's. She's been playing with house money for a little while. She's lived. She lived a lot longer than than dogs of her. Well, yeah, she was. Uh, but she's been a little bit like lab pointer mix, so like kind of long, spindly legs, and like was you know not really all there, and and basically, you know, not doing so well. But anyway, uh, love that dog dearly, and so um, spilled a couple tears today about it. But anyway, I wanted to pay some sort of tribute, so I was like, uh, "Hey, what's that Sebado song?" Give me indie rock. Okay, so I went back and listened to that, and that song sucks. <laughs> and if you if you want to play like five seconds of that, Mark, that's fine. But I went back and listened yeah. to it, and it's shitty. But it did remind me that Lou Barlow was also in a really good band called Folk Implosion. Oh, uh, yeah. And they have a song that's also about like kind of a parting of ways, and it's called Free to Go. And I dearly love that song. And I have we've we have run uh, I've run the other Folk Implosion. Single. That's true. We uh, have the kids' oh, soundtrack. Natural one. Yes. And so yeah, if you look up folk yeah. implosion, that's like the first like fifteen things that come up. Yeah. But uh, uh, free to go was on a CMJ uh, compilation back in the we day. Have, you've brought it up before. Let's listen to it for sure. Yeah. Let's get into it. those guys are around my same age because I recognize all the video games. All, all right, of them? Some of those were... Well, a couple of... Not, not all of them, but I saw Tempest and Pac-Man and Centipede. Pong. Uh, I think Pong was in there, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. Anyway. Lots of lots of 8-bit uh, retro gaming. The gaming. production value on that video was remarkable. So it, high. I'll so it cost high. them at least 150 bucks yeah. to put that together. No, it just looked like... And... There always is a little bit of that deal too, where it's like, you know, the the guitarist in that, and like in all those shots, just he's yeah. just plucking at an acoustic guitar, and I don't know that there's any on it. There's there might not be any on it, no. and he looks like he might not be all the way awake. Well, but, and at one point he was actually playing air guitar with the acoustic guitar strapped to his back. So. Oh sure, yeah. Well, the boy, yeah, the boys <laughs> were having fun on that. <laughs> anyway, no, it's a, it's a great track, like. I, uh, and I think it's mostly it. about like you know like his parents got divorced when he was a kid and he also hasn't got over that and then like his girlfriend left him or something. But it's about separation or whatever. And mm. anyway, it's a good uh, Lou Barlow song. I don't think I've ever heard that song before. 
And it does, so there's a little bit of the, like, perfect circle with regard to what your intro was. Yeah. But I, I meant to tell you this, and I didn't ever, this is not going to mean anything, I apologize in advance for the fact that it's not going to mean any of the thing to you guys who didn't know my late dog, but um, when I got her, she had kennel cough, and so she's really, uh, like, too thin, and she's a lab pointer mix. But she was the reason that I named her Indy was that she wore all black and she was dressed like or she was, oh, built, she was dressed like, like Iggy yeah. Pop, yeah, like so, like, like a like, little hip indie girl or whatever. And, yeah, uh, she was not hip at all. Like, no, even, she was kind of <laughs> no. Adorable. She was like the goofiest dog ever. Like, anyway, uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah, but point being, but, but uh, that track's great. But yeah, she's been in my thoughts all day. And uh, well, that was a fitting tribute. I I I enjoyed that. Yeah, it was a circuitous path, uh, yeah. how I got there. But anyway, uh, the pup's been on my mind, and uh, anyway, uh, she was a good girl. Well, let's let's dive back into the to the Adam and Ian. Let's do it. All right. So one of the things that I unlocked as I was trying to get to know the record that we're talking about tonight and that and the you know the main main thrust of of tonight's conversation is the Josh Rouse LP 1972. Um one of the things that I didn't know until today was that he was an army brat. So Oh, you moved around like presumably all over the place. he moved around a lot and you actually can make out that for thread. Long, for the longest time I didn't know what that meant like it, you, know, you just thought that people with a bad attitude. Well, I just didn't, well okay, so my wore uniforms. Was an army brat, <laughs> and so I was so obsessed with them when I was like in high school um, that I I kept seeing army brat. Nobody ever explained what it was, and I, it wasn't until I was like twenty two that I found out that that meant his dad was in the army, so they moved around like basically every year. Yeah, and so yeah, he like so. Josh Rouse, same deal, and yeah, apparently so. And I, I've not seen him go on about it, but it is. It seems to be on the public record that he was a he was an army kid, and so one of the things that seems to be like a central conceit in, lyrically in the stuff that he writes uh, is this kind of this restlessness, you know. And so I feel like that's probably that that may be where a little bit of that comes from. But I mean, I also think that it, it ends up. Popping up in, in the way that that his, you know that his that he kind of decides to sort of reinvent himself from phase to phase, and so well, anyway, the, the impression it makes I it get from, make it work from people who've had that kind of experience is that once they get settled in somewhere, they get you know plucked up and put in somewhere else, and like you know they're the new kid with having to try to navigate like a whole new like clique worth of people, and. You know, they're just having to kind of figure out things as they go. Yeah. Yeah, it says on his Wikipedia page, childhood, uh, moving around during childhood, including Utah, California, Wyoming, and Georgia. Went to college in Nashville to attend school and then dropped out and apparently uh, worked as a parking valet. So that would be fun to, you know. Have Josh Rouse park your car? As your, as your parking guy. Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you never know who might be parking your car this weekend. Yeah, point being, out. point being, like you know, if the guy sings it to you, just check and see if he's any good or not. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I do think this is this part's true. Like one of the reasons that he moved back to Nashville, like we talked about in the first part of half of the show, is that uh, he said that living in Spain 
it's easy to get lazy because well, they take naps yeah, from just, like like yeah, two to four in the afternoon. Yeah, or it's well, kind of the like, culture. Yeah, no, I, I, he and seemed. Dude, like, trust me, I love that culture. <laughs> yeah, like they decide to get up and go out around midnight. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and anybody who knows me in person knows that that is up my alley. Yeah, that's no, true. Yeah. Anyway, so I think that that part. Well, and if you see the guy interviewed, like his his BP is like two over one. He seems like he's just about he, his blood pressure. Yes, he's uh, he's, or, he's, he's very chill. He's very chill. He's yeah. very relaxed. So um, yeah, I saw I saw I pop, pulled up a, a, a recent interview that he did in the last year with um, and the interviewer was. Clearly, uh, she's very seemed very eager, but her English was clearly not her first language, and so um, she was she was asking these questions, and then he would just kind of he would he would eventually get to the answer, and he wasn't necessarily condescending, but it was just like you could see the wheels turn in his head. Like, here's a list of the things that I would rather be doing than this, and so like. I don't feel like I feel like there's in, an enthusiasm in, he brings to his work way, that maybe he doesn't. In some way, I feel like the I don't know like what the diagram would look like, but like the better an artist you are, your craft, the less you enjoy doing press stuff. Well, and he's to sell your shit. It's got to feel like on some level, moving back to the states has to feel like okay. Well, I've done this already. Like I, you know, I transcended that and I moved to Spain and I reinvented myself. I put out these couple of records, and whoops, those didn't land, and so now so I got to start back. Are again. But one thing that he did say, and this is originally the reason I brought it up, was that, you know, he this part this this is this the first part is me, and then the conclusion is one that he made. I think that Na- Nashville is kind of the L.A. of the South. Uh, for lack of a better term, uh, in terms I, of the I, entertainment I abso- industry, no, I absolutely. I think many people would agree with that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but just like uh, in certain industry, entertainment industries in Los Angeles, you have a lot of people who are very hungry for fame and very hungry to make a living at it. So there's a lot of hustling that goes on. And so anyway, I just think that he got part of living overseas was that like, yeah, you live he in the nap culture. lower key lifestyle about it. And, and you know, in, I'm, in Nashville, I know this to be true. And in L.A., I know this to be true as well. Like there are like kind of underground scenes that aren't really that way that right. are just trying to, you know, create art and like kind of do a slow upward tra- trajectory. But there yeah. are a lot of people who move there that are just trying to like get take, take their shot. Yeah, yeah. totally. I, I, I've, I don't know that I've ever brought this up on the show, but I literally was given a, this woman gave me her daughter's headshot, her seven year old daughter's headshot. Cause I was working for a, production company on the universal lot and i happened to mention it and so she went and got her daughter's headshot and i was just trying to have a beer in the hot tub and like <laughs> i was a fucking like intern like i wasn't gonna like go to the head of the production company and go like hey by the way here's a seven-year-old look, see? Yeah, look at this cute girl <laughs> this put her is, in your next movie all of them put her in all your films you have to talk like you're in the thing. Yeah, and all like, the all the moms would be like, I, you know, I'm not a stage mom, but here you go. Right. And I just happen to have a stack of these here glossies. I, I have it. I have a uh, I have a little notebook of of quotes from this show, and that's definitely going in there. I was just trying to have a beer in a hot tub. <laughs> that's all it was. <laughs> yeah. I did I did put tack it up on my fridge when I got home though. 
<laughs> All right. So I, I that's thought, weird. I, yeah. Can we move I on? I thought it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's just like that kid's staring at you every day. It's just, that kid is like every time you go get a glass like, of milk, and there's that, that seven year old kid. Like eighteen now. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, there you go. It, yeah. Maybe she's famous. I don't even know. Like yeah. I don't remember her name. I ended up throwing the thing away when I moved. But yeah, the photo. Why don't we listen to another song? Yes, let's do that. So, um, <laughs> so uh, let's let's spin. Let's, we have a, a little, a tiny bit of extra time. Let's do. Um, let's roll. Um, sunshine. Come on, lady. Sunshine, uh, come on, lady. I was like, this is going to be appealing to nobody around this table, but I was just sitting in the bathtub uh, listening to this record. <laughs> oh, thank and you. Say no more. Finally. Yeah. But ladies, let me tell you. <laughs> but I was like, like, what is it that this reminds me of? And I, I kept like, I went back and like once I was clothed again, uh, <laughs> I was like, like you, is the I, story and I, and I really need that. Notes written down here, like, like I've got bright uh, sunshine day, and then it's like, oh, and then it says Johnny Nash. I can see clearly now, and it turns out it's by Jimmy Cliff. Johnny Nash was the songwriter, but that's what the underlying cadence of that song. But he kind of flipped it and made it its own. But right. there's a seed of a '70s song in it, without it being. Super derivative. See, I feel like this is a this is a lot more contemporary to 2003 when it was released than than a no, lot of the No, that's true. Other it age, it ages reasonably well, I think. Um, I do. Uh, hang on, I I am getting a call from um, the Marvin Gaye estate, and they just <laughs> want to sue everybody over everything. Oh, so, well, good. Yeah. yeah um, thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, sure. Um, no, anyway, to your point, Mark. Yeah, I agree. I think. I think it it seems to like it doesn't it doesn't necessarily it doesn't feel dated to me in 2018, um, except for the fact that it is clearly a period piece, <laughs> so like or an homage. Yeah, uh, no, yeah. it's an homage. Yeah. I don't I don't think it sounds like a ripoff or like it sounds like exactly like it lands exactly in the 70s anywhere. But I, it definitely I was like this reminds me of something, and when I figured out it was I can see clearly now, and that's the. Like big chorus of that song is it's bright, bright, sunshiny day, and this song is literally called Sunshine. So I don't know if that was just him, like you know, uh, channeling a little, channeling not yeah. necessarily on purpose, but maybe, yeah. Uh, for for legal purposes, definitely not. 
Yes. Definitely, definitely not definitely. Uh, LLC uh, Esquire. I don't know <laughs> if any of that shit makes any sense. Are you a lawyer? <laughs> definitely um, not. <laughs> anyway, uh, okay, it's a good so, tune. I I think it was it. Uh, you know, you you use the word bright, and and I, I feel like there is a lot of brightness in that song. It's, well, it's that percussion is fun too. Yeah. What are those congas? Yeah, it's, some it's congas, and bouncy. there's a lot of snare, just riffing on the snare in there. It's a, it's a it's a nice little tune. One thing that I think is kind of, uh, I don't necessarily know that it's super unique, but it struck me as an interesting choice, is that this record starts quietly and ends quietly. And it, in the middle, it's not always that way by any stretch. That point, case in point, the track we just heard. Um, but but his voice is kind of meek. Uh, I mean, like, like that's, and I don't mean that in, pejoratively at all like he has like just kind of like a, a thin also sounds pejorative and that's not what i mean like he has i don't think it's i don't it, think it's thin but i do think it's like occasionally intentionally it sensitive it's intentionally understated yeah like yeah um yeah well anyway to to that end like i thought i thought the imagery the the wordplay on rise feels like kind of a great way to wrap this record up and maybe it should be the last track off this record that we played sure, let's do it do it up think I'm gonna pass out think I'll just lay down right Cover myself with a jacket I'll still Catch the last ride on a Brooklyn train Thirty years old and nothing's changed Spent hours on the landline Hoping you would find time for me Showed up at your door was a scene I wish to show you free. One of the stories that, uh, you know, Allison used to live in New York and for, for a time during that period, she wasn't there that long, a couple of years, whatever, but the, during the time that she was there, for a while she lived in Brooklyn and uh, one, of the, like, one of the things that stuck with me about some of the stories that I've been told, of course I've spent some time in that city myself since then was the idea of like falling asleep on a on the train and waking up in Coney Island and not knowing where the hell you are and being way the hell out of your way um but I feel like the like there is a certain I do think that there is a warmth to his voice and there is a like the imagery there of like you know uh of being on this Brooklyn train that sounds like you're it sounds a little solitary and at the you know at the same time like Jesus. there's some of that restlessness that we talked about earlier mm-hmm. uh, and granted uh, I had a couple cocktails when I wrote these notes last night but oh good times I wrote like uh, starts on quaaludes then ends on roids um, which I don't know if that's exactly it does, song, it does but it, but it does or the album. It, it does crescendo well, no that that's toward the end in particular yeah. but like uh and 
and Royds is probably a little bit of an overstatement, but that yeah. song like starts with his like you know soft lilting thing and then picks up steam. Uh, so yeah, the songs like this off this album, they're kind of they're storytelling songs for me. They're they're sure. almost like oh yeah, they're almost. I mean, I'm, I might be stretching it a bit here, but they're almost like like bedtime lullabies. You know, the, this I one can see for that. me, it's just it it sounds like it's got a lot of that singer songwriter vibe. That you know where you can, you can hear the roots of the song being very, uh, very basic, and yet when you get into production and stuff, you're that's where the roids come in, maybe. I well, and it starts very simply with the kind of the the plucking of the guitar right there at the very beginning, and then you've got strings that come in eventually, mm-hmm. and then I do think that like sort of uh, spiritually, in terms of this, that song feels like actually it connects more to. Some of the dressed up like Nebraska era stuff, then that's his most first record, right? That's his first record, yeah, yeah. and a, and a very different record than this one. But it, but in terms of like that that building to that sort of um, you know enthusiastic finish is something that that it was it's an interesting choice for this record and and not necessarily one that I can saw I, coming. I but it's a, mostly a quiet song. Can I just ask a weird question? When um, did you? St- Stop. That's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, can you guys ever imagine this guy getting in a fist fight with anyone ever for any reason? No. Yeah. I, I don't know. He just, I mean, not like he's, like, he's not like a bon Iver, like, kind of gentle dude. Like, I think there's more going on here than with. No, like, and to see, and seeing him strata. live, like, he doesn't seem, he's not a feat, but, like, I do think that, uh, Again, some of it, it just, just seems like a nice, super dude. laid back like, dude. Yeah, like, yeah, he's just real talented, and you know, most of his shit lands. Not all of it. But Not all of like, it. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, that's 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 uh, 1972. Both uh, good year for me. Seems yeah. just like yesterday. Yeah. Um, certainly today it does. Who's got? Uh, who's doing the the last? Uh, Mark's got this week. We're a man uh, down. In, so in yeah, Shane's stead. Yes. So so um, I'm I'm proud to uh, to step in uh, and fill in for Shane uh, since he's not around. Um, and I wanted to pick. Uh, this is a someone that came out with a, an album this this past year, and uh, someone that uh, some friends of mine from Dallas have played with before. So uh, I'm only a little bit familiar with her work, but that's uh, Saint Vincent. And uh, we're going to listen to a song, a cut off the the latest album of hers. It's called Los Ageless. In Los Ageless, the wind never comes. In Los Ageless, the mothers milk their young. But I can keep running, no, I can keep running. Ah, ah. Oh, ah, ah. So that's uh, Lost Ageless off uh, St. Vincent's latest release. 
uh, St. Vincent's better known as uh, Annie, or she's better known as St. Vincent, but... Uh, At her bank, she's known as Annie Clark. <laughs> she's known as Annie Clark. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the uh, polyth- polyphonic spree alums from uh, the Dallas area of Texas. Was she in polyphonic spree? Apparently she was, yeah. Would, I, but I feel like that's the, like, like... 50 and 40 Yeah, it's like kind of an odd future type it thing. It is kind like, of an odd future type thing, yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, thoughts on that at all? So, first of all, um, I have not... I have not... I, I profess to not be an expert on her catalog... What I have heard from her in the past, I haven't always connected with it. Mm-hmm. Um, she is a weird sidebar. I like that track. Like, I actually enjoyed that song. And uh, um, although I really have a hard time figuring out what it's about. Um, that's not true. Um, she is also the sister-in-law of uh, a friend of mine in Dallas. Oh. So, anyway, I hear, like... I have always, I've always been curious about her career, and I wanted to like what I heard more, and I can totally see how she would have done, how she would have collaborated with David Byrne, because sometimes I think she's just... Well, it's, 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 like, it's, it's real art school kind of... It, it is um, very and art school. And yeah. she's, what, on 4AD? Is that right? Uh, I don't know if I she's believe. doing anything or not, or... Just, <laughs> Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for, oh, is that for, a drugs? Yes. Yeah. Coming around she's, there. She's on the four AD. Yeah. Four yeah. AD. Beggars Banquet. Uh, Republic. Yeah. Like all very cool hip labels. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it struck me as like, and I don't even know if people use this term anymore, but electro clash. That was a thing oh, back in the day. Yeah. Like yeah. Scissor Sisters. And I was thinking like peaches. But nicer and less gross and less gross. <laughs> yeah, by a long shot on the less gross part. But but yeah. you know, like kind of that, like kind of a little bit confrontational uh, electro percussion. Uh, well, didn't she? Wasn't she one of the artists who stood in for Cobain at the Nirvana induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? I you think may she was be right. Like I, I think I she was. Know that. She like she has long. So like she. The whatever the rock is the the art certainly the art rock establishment and then a lot of the kind of indie like the well to do like the the uh, playing venues of size indie establishment has respected her for a long time. Um, yeah, I think Saint she Vincent's takes a ton got, of like chances. a lot of yeah. she's got a lot of cachet right and and I'm with you like I've never really like I haven't sought out a whole lot. This is probably the fourth or fifth song I've heard of hers. Yeah. Like, and I generally like them pretty well. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's nothing to dislike, but I, like, it's not something that I'm, maybe we're not her target audience. I mean, it's possible. And that's totally okay. It is. Totally it can still okay. be good art. And, uh, yeah. And, and anyway, what's going on in that video, Mark? Can you explain that? I don't know. I just kept flashing back to, uh, that one scene from Brazil. I don't know if you've ever seen that I, movie. I am told I need to see that movie. Yeah, I have a yeah. film degree, and I've never seen that movie, uh, which is not me being pretentious. It just means that everyone who's seen that movie thinks it's the most amazing thing they've ever seen. I don't know if I would say that it's the most amazing thing I've ever seen, but I definitely think you should see it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, there's there's that one there's well, a, there's the, one like scene silly, where somebody's putty, being silly stretched. Putty yeah. cheeks yeah. or something? Yeah. 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 So I don't know if that was, you know. Deliberately taken. I, I was from just that, expecting but, uh, Sia to gallivant across the screen at some point. Uh, see, that seems like a very Sia environment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it does. It does. Uh, uh, although it uh, it also doesn't. I mean, in, uh, to my knowledge, uh, Annie doesn't cede writing duties. She doesn't go out and find 
ghost writers. Like, she writes her own stuff. As far as I know, yeah, yeah that's true. Seems like it. Um, anyway, yeah, fine choice, Mark. Oh, thank you. Um, so... For uh, next week, since we have an empty chair, Mark, are you taking the reins? Next I can week? do that. Uh, there's there there is one artist that uh, that I would like to bring up, and uh, you know, if you guys will indulge me, I'd, let's do it. Um, I'd like to pick. Uh, we're, let's go back in time again because we haven't done uh, a really old one in a while. But uh, an album that uh, I was first introduced to by my brother. I'm still not very familiar with it, but I know it's one of his favorites. You're talking about the album or your brother? Um, you're familiar with your brother. I'm familiar with my brother. Okay. He's still not one of sure. my favorites. Yeah, okay. Neither is this album, but uh, yeah. it's it's uh, Foxtrot by Genesis. Okay. What year did that come out? Is this Peter that, Gabriel uh, or uh, Ryan? That's Ryan's s- checking to see whether he's no, got a record. No, I think it's around 1972, maybe. Oh, so it's going to be Peter Gabriel. It's Peter Eric, Gabriel. It's it's Eric, yeah. It's pre Genesis. pre yeah. uh, Gabriel's uh, departure. So. All right. It's it's it's. It's uh, regarded the as one of, their, on one of their top five albums. I'm going to keep my ears open. Okay. Um, yeah, it. I think it could be. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. I don't. I don't know much about it either. So uh, it's an experiment for all of us. That's it. All right. Well, until then, I'm Kevin. I'm Ryan, and I'm Mark. This is somebody likes it.